Welcome to Ask Alice, a podcast that explores the issues and challenges teenagers face on a daily basis. Hosted by Alice Chernock, a licensed professional counselor in Birmingham, Alabama. Ask Alice is part of the Rooted family of podcasts, which also includes All About Boys, Thanos to Theos, and the Rooted Youth Ministry podcast. Rooted is focused on advancing gospel-centered youth ministry. To learn more, visit us at www.rootedministry.com. Here's your host, Alice Chernock. Good morning, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of Ask Alice. I'm Alice Chernock, a licensed professional counselor, and I'm so happy to be back with you today. I think that as COVID has continued on, we thought originally that we were in for a sprint of maybe a few months of dealing with this, but now as as time passes and the number of masks and social distancing increases, I think we realize we're in more for an endurance race. And so we are, are facing some new challenges that we haven't faced before. And it was interesting, uh, an interview on, on July 14th came out with the director of the Center for Disease Control. His name is Robert Redfield. And he testified in a Buck Institute webinar that the number of deaths by suicide and drug overdoses have now surpassed the death rate for COVID-19. And he went on to argue that the lockdowns and the lack of public schooling has constituted a disproportionately negative impact on young people's mental health. Now, listen, I am not here to argue whether or not you agree that we should open schools back or if we should defer openings or whatever. I'm not here for that, all right? What I am going to say is that it is very, very clear that we as humans were not created to live a life in isolation. It was very early on that God gave Eve to Adam And he said, it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. And that's why this season of of isolation has been so difficult for so many of us. And we're seeing the effects of that trickle down into our children and into their lives and their friendships. So as we are continuing this limited social contact, I don't know about you, but I'm noticing a decline in my own children and in the the clients that I see, just in their basic social skills. So as we are gearing back up to reopening in some way, shape, or form some of the schools, some of the activities, some of the church groups, I want us to take a few minutes today and talk about what it's like to reintroduce some social relationships and social skills to our children. So I'm totally going to rat one of my kids out right here and just say that as as they were ending the school year last year and they had Google Classroom, so they had this computer screen with a teacher and, you know, 20 different children lined up on little windows all trying to talk at one time. One of my kids is not as outgoing And he learned very quickly that if he hit a mute button, he could very conveniently mute out those classmates that he he didn't really want to listen to. 
And so I think that it's funny because we don't get to walk around with a mute button in life. And so now that he does not have that option, we're having to reevaluate what it looks like to talk to other people, have patience with other people. So I want us to spend some time today in, in talking about how to help our kids with some of these social skills in leading up to, to reopening the world. So our first email comes from Jack and Suzanne in Jackson, Mississippi. They write, we have a question about our son. He's almost 14, an only child. And since the pandemic started, the three of us have really enjoyed our quality time together. However, now that some activities are starting back in our area, he doesn't want to join in. Before quarantine, he was super involved in sports and debate, and now he wants to opt into online school and give up his beloved football team. Before quarantine, he had friends around all the time. Now, his friends can't even get him to go for a hike or a bike ride. I hear from one friend's mom that our son won't even answer texts anymore. What is going on? Well, Jack and Suzanne, I'll tell you what's going on. That is a very common response to what we call social anxiety. Now, many of you, many of us struggle with social anxiety. In fact, 40 million Americans deal with social anxiety. Some people deal with it for a short period of time. Some people deal with it for a lifetime. So I think it depends on the person, but there's some really common characteristics in dealing with social anxiety. See, social anxiety is is best described as the fear of feeling ashamed or the fear of being shamed. And that's really what it roots back to. So when we have kids who are stopping themselves from going to certain activities or or being involved with friends again, those kind of things, that screams to me that your son is dealing with some social anxiety. Now, with kids, it can look similar, but also different. It can look like um, not being, not wanting to be called on in school to answer a question. Um, it can look like uh, not wanting to go up to a group of kids on the playground and, and ask to join in. It can be a massive fear of coming into class late. It can be a fear of performing in a recital. It can be a fear of talking to adults or even answering a phone call, working on a project at school with friends, Um, even things like going to the bathroom at a friend's house can all be examples of social anxiety. And I think for me, the most incredible example of social anxiety comes back to scripture and, and it is based in Exodus when we talk about Moses. Moses was the king of social anxiety, which is interesting because I think a lot of us, when we think of Moses, we think Moses and Pharaoh, let my people go. He was the representative. But really, there's been so much um, studies and research done on the life of Moses that it's really fascinating to go into it and see how much social anxiety Moses actually struggled with. For instance, Moses is having a conversation with God and trying to present his case for all the reasons why he should not have to go to Pharaoh. He uses examples like, who am I that I should go? Or 
Um, God, I have never been eloquent with my speech. Or pardon your servant, Lord, but please send someone else. All right. Moses was so afraid of being shamed and ashamed that he was completely reluctant to heed God's call. And I think that that's a lot of what our kids are dealing with. That thought of going back into a classroom setting or into a place where they were once comfortable, it's really scary again. And so I think that we have to give our our kids some grace when it comes to re-entry into the world that there's this fear of, I haven't done this for a really long time, and the thought of doing it again actually scares the crap out of me. I know for myself, I used to do a whole lot of theater when I was a child. I loved being on stage and doing plays and that kind of thing. And I've thought about getting more involved in it as an adult, but I gotta be honest, y'all, it scares the poop out of me again to think of being back on stage and doing theater. And I don't know why, I don't know where this came from, but my lack of doing it has created this irrational fear of my mind of doing this again. And so I think really, Jack and Suzanne, that this is what your child is dealing with when it comes to that social anxiety. He has this irrational fear of, if I put myself back in this situation How am I going to be treated? Am I going to be judged? Am I going to be mocked? Are people going to ignore me? Am I going to be left out? It's really that fear of going back into something that we haven't been to in a a while. And so I think that it's really helpful if we start with him very small. You know, when we're dealing with social anxiety, if you're interested in in this, I would really encourage you to look into cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, CBT. And CBT is kind of the gold standard in dealing with any kind of anxiety, and social anxiety is is no different. Um, but if you look into some different CBT techniques that we would do, so if if your son were in my office, I would have him come up with an anxiety ladder. And that is just basically a ranking of what are the things that are most anxiety-provoking to him at this point in life. It can be um, going on to the classroom, It can be giving a report in front of the class. It can be playing football again or doing debate, whatever it is that he would find most stressful. And then we're going to start with the least stressful events, and then we're going to gradually work our way back into some of the more advanced ones. So the thing with, with social anxiety is that we start small, but then we work our way to bigger, bigger instances. And I think that that's such a perfect example of, of how the Lord helped Moses in his situation, that he was gradually giving him these promptings of, hey, let me show you how this is going to work. Let me be right here with you. I'm going to send Aaron to go with you. I'm going to help you out. And so he's gradually helping Moses in that transition back into something that's very intensely frightening for him. He doesn't just say, good luck, and send him on his way. But he really helps gradually take him through that. And so I would encourage you, Jack and Suzanne, to help your son start to see maybe some of these fears are irrational, knowing that he has done them before. There's a great um, there's a great worksheet on unhelpful thinking styles that you can also Google. If you do a Google Images search for unhelpful thinking styles, there's one that has these emojis on it, and I print that sucker out and I give that to clients all the time. 
And it really breaks down some irrational thinking styles that we would have that I, I would guess if he's really honest and talking through, he would be able to identify some of those unhelpful thinking styles in what's holding him back from wanting to go out with friends. Now, does this mean we need to plan a 16th birthday party for him and shove him in there? Surprise! No, not at all. But it can mean, hey, let's start by texting one person today. Let's start by meeting one person at Starbucks. Let's start by going on a walk with one person or two people. And so we're gradually helping him re-enter into this world of socialization. Now, my next question comes from Julie, and Julie is in Washington, D.C. Julie says, I have a daughter who is super outgoing, never met a stranger. However, since COVID, I have noticed that she has become withdrawn around people who aren't family. I got really worried when she went to interview for a nannying job yesterday, and she came home saying that she had bombed the interview. When I asked her why, she said, I don't know, Mom. When they asked me questions, I just couldn't think of anything to say. This is totally unlike my daughter. Can you help? So what you're talking about, Julie, is we're moving on from the deeper rooted piece of the shame portion of social anxiety, and we're moving into some more of the practical, let's talk about how we have a conversation with people. So there's some great different techniques that we can use just in training our kids on having some social skills. Some of the things that I think are super important for kids to understand is teaching them eye contact. It is a very basic skill, but I think that a lot of of kids, especially kids who are so accustomed to having conversations over Snapchat or texting, they don't have to make eye contact anymore in order to have a relationship with somebody. And so I think teaching our kids how to have just some basic eye contact, and you can make this fun. You know, like I encourage parents to put a sticker on your forehead in between your eyes and teach your child to just stare at the sticker as y'all are having a conversation, all right? You could be silly and goofy about it and really help them see that, yes, the forehead trick does work, that if they just pretend like they're looking at the forehead, somebody thinks they're looking in their eyes. And so teaching little skills like that, another idea is just to have a staring contest with your child, all right? And see who can stare at each other the longest before somebody blinks, all right? Those are little skills that we can start reintroducing as we're prepping for them to go back to to school. Um, I think it's really important that we teach our kids how to talk on the phone. I mean, again, I think that this is a skill that is kind of becoming a dying art. And so I encourage parents to, next time you are ordering your favorite takeout, instead of using the app, and placing your order online, have your child actually call the restaurant and place the order in person. Uh, I guarantee you there's so many kids out there that would be like, what? I cannot do that. But that is great training just to have basic social interaction, learning how to talk on the phone, have a conversation, 
and it's non-threatening because this person does not know who they are. They are not going to think anything of it. And worst case scenario, if they have a total freak out, they can hang up and you can order your food online. All right. But it's just an easy way to kind of get kids back into having conversations with people, you know, with my own kids, one of, uh, we have one child who really, really loves baseball um, and the other child who loves tennis. And so it's helpful having the ball analogy. And we talk to our kids about this, that conversations are like tossing a ball and you can even get an actual ball and practice tossing the ball so that kids can see that if I have the ball, I need to ask a question and toss it back. And then I'm going to answer, ask a question, and toss the ball back. And so it lets them see in a very practical way some real-time examples of how to hold and maintain a conversation. All right? I think a lot of us don't realize that conversations actually have parts to them. They have an introduction. They have a middle part. And then they have a conclusion. So helping our kids see that as an introduction to a conversation, how do we do that? Well, you introduce a conversation typically by asking a question or giving a greeting. So a great way to help kids start a conversation is to teach them how to give a compliment. All right. So what they would do is go up to somebody else and say, hey, I really like your shirt. That's tossing the ball into the other person's court. From there, the other person can say, oh, thanks, I really like your shoes. Or, thanks, I got it at Target. Or whatever it is to try to help facilitate a conversation. All right, so those would be your introduction statements. Now, your, your mediation, your middle part of, of the conversation is having them say one or two sentences about the topic. So if it's, I really liked your shirt, it can be, have you gone shopping lately? Or where did you get it? Or anything like that, that helps facilitate that conversation. And then we have a conclusion part. And when we're starting conversations, we try to encourage kids, especially to conclude with something that's open-ended. So for instance, we should go shopping sometime. Or we should share our Pinterest board or I'll send you the link of where I did that. All right. So you see that those are ways that we can keep the conversation going. So we're teaching our kids that every conversation has a, a beginning, a middle and an ending to it. All right. Um, other, other ways are to get our ch- children just to walk into the grocery store by themselves and ask a question. I cannot tell you the number of clients that I have had who truly struggled with walking into a grocery store, asking a question, or even just going through the checkout line by themselves. That can be very anxiety-producing for a child. And so, um, Julie, I'm coming back to what you're, you're saying with your daughter, not knowing what to say. Well, she doesn't know what to say because she hasn't had to say it in so long. And so one of the most helpful things that we can do with our kids is just a basic role play of I'm going to pick some questions and you try to figure it out and answer it. Now, I will say that is much easier for me to do in my office 
than it is for a lot of parents because a lot of teenagers especially are like, mom, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to have a conversation. This is stupid. All right. So I will give you that in my office, they don't have much of a choice. So it's a lot easier for me to do it in here. But what that means is if you have other people in your life who would be willing to step in and help, then they may be more willing, whether it's a youth director or a coach or an aunt, they may be more willing to practice this kind of stuff with somebody who's not mom or dad. But to me, I think that it was a great experience, Julie, for your daughter to have the opportunity to go on an interview that she would typically be really killer at and see that she can fail. And I I feel like it comes back to our kids need to know what it's like to fail sometimes and how are we going to help them pick back up and go from here on that. It goes back into that shame piece that we all feel that that is rooted in this social anxiety of how do I how do I recover from this? You know, with shame comes the fear of abandonment. You know, with guilt comes the fear of punishment. You know, if if I forget somebody's birthday, then I'm just going to feel guilty about it and I'm afraid they're just going to be mad at me for a little while, right? That's guilt. But shame on the other hand is that fear of abandonment. All right? It's not that I've done something wrong, but that I am wrong. There's something wrong with me as a person. And so when we have kids who are struggling with with anxiety, specifically social anxiety, there's that notion in their mind, and I truly believe that Satan loves to pull this out and throw it in our face of those questioning voices of, they're going to think you're stupid. You're going to ask the wrong questions. Everybody's going to laugh at you. You know, adolescents automatically have something called the invisible stage. And that's, that's a, a genuine phase that every teenager goes through where they feel like everybody is watching them, all right? That's why it's really, really rare to find a teenager who is not trying to fix their hair or checking themselves in the mirror or they don't want to go out of the house with make, without makeup on, things like that because they feel like the entire world is watching them. And to a teenager, the most embarrassing thing that could possibly happen is to be seen with their parents. Oh, that's so embarrassing. And that's because of that invisible stage. It's something that they go through, all right? And so when we have kids who aren't used to being around other people, those worries have just been compounded. So what we can do is help our kids come back to recognizing the grace aspect of that. We know that shame is rooted in that fear of abandonment. But the beauty is that we worship a God who has promised he will never leave us or forsake us. So we can take that fear of abandonment and we can toss it out the window knowing that we have the confidence that we are never going to be alone. Never. Even when we bomb interviews or even when we have to hang up the phone after ordering food, we are never, ever going to be alone. So we, we can rest having the confidence knowing that we are able to try something and to fail. 
but we're going to try to set our kids up to trying things that they can succeed in. And that's why I really encourage you, both Jack and Suzanne and for Julie, to help your kids start by doing things that they do feel comfortable in and gradually going into the things that are a little bit more in-depth. That's called exposure therapy. That's something that we would do in my office, um, whether it's a fear of, of going into the grocery store that can look like just let's go and sit in the grocery store parking lot and then go home. And then let's walk up to the front door of the grocery store and then go home. And then let's walk two steps into the grocery store and then go home. Do you see how we're gradually adding those, those, um, those social skills into something without trying to overwhelm the person all at once. It's exactly what Christ did for Moses. He gradually gave him these tools that he needed until he had more and more and more confidence. Now, I want to leave with this disclaimer that if you're anything like me, I feel like right now our kids are kind of under a microscope because we have spent so much time together, all right? And so I think we also have to give our kids a little bit of grace and recognize that probably things that would not have been a big deal or things that we would not have even noticed about our kids are now just glaring at us. Y'all, I cannot even begin to tell you, I'm so embarrassed to admit this, the number of workbooks that I have ordered off of Amazon for like handwriting skills and 101 science experiments for our kids to do. Cause I'm like, Oh my gosh, my kids handwriting is horrible. And my kids have no science ability. And yeah, y'all, how many of those have I actually done? I could truly name one, one of those things I have done in the last five months or however long we've been doing this. All right. So I think we have to give our kids a break and recognize that we are holding them under a microscope right now. And part of that is we got to chill out. All right. So some of this, I hope that we can just look at ourselves and say, okay, our kids are going to get back into society. The Lord is sovereign over all things, including our kids' social skills. And he is going to give us what we need to further his kingdom and to do his will. So there's a whole lot of comfort in that too. Y'all, thanks so much for joining me today. I really loved being with you. We always love hearing from you. So if you have extra questions, please email them to us at askalice at rootedministry.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Ask Alice with Alice Chernock. For more grace-filled, gospel-centered, Bible-saturated resources, be sure to visit www.rootedministry.com. As always, special thanks to High Street Hymns for the music on this podcast. This podcast is made available to you by the Rooted Ministry for educational purposes only, not to provide specific therapeutic advice. The views expressed are the personal perspectives of the author and do not represent the views of all counselors or of the counseling profession. This podcast does not create a counselor-client relationship and should not be used as a substitute for competent therapeutic counsel from a licensed professional in your state.